Hey there and welcome to Soul Church. Our prayer is that this message encourages you wherever you may be in life. You know, we've been hearing so many stories about what God is doing in people's lives and we'd love to hear yours. So take a second and send your story to stories at soulchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us today and we hope that you enjoy the message. God bless. It's great to see you in the room. It is buzzing and it's great to see you online. We're going to come around our series verse. If you are new to our church, you're in this room, we want to say the biggest, warmest welcome. Come on, church. Why don't we welcome anyone that's... We love to have guests. It's great to have you with us. And our series verse is this, Ephesians 3.20. God can do anything. We say that again. God can do anything you know. Do you know that? God can do anything you know far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request even in your wildest dreams. Father, we want to thank you for the reality of who you are of all that you can do, our minds cannot comprehend your limitless power, authority, capability, and capacity. And so through these words, through your word, we ask you to breathe, speak, transform, and change us. And we give you all the praise and all the glory. And everyone with a bit of faith said a big loud. Amen. You can take your seats. You ready for a great story online? The story that's found in Mark chapter 5. We're going to start reading from verse 21. I'm going to break it into three different acts. Let's go on a journey with me. So act one starts over here. Jesus gets out of a boat. He's been doing miracles. And he comes onto the other side of the shore. And he's met by a man named Jairus. So this is act one. And Jairus is the leader of the synagogue. On the outside, he's a man of authority, capacity. He makes things happen. He has influence. But then it tells us in Mark 5 verse 22 that this man who looks like he's got it all together, all of a sudden he falls at the feet of Jesus. And you think, what's going on in his world? He fell at his feet, verse 23, and begged him earnestly, saying, my little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed, and she will live. And we know that nothing makes you feel weak and anxious like your kids. Kids are your kryptonite. Life has a way of attacking you at the point of your greatest vulnerability. But but Jairus does the right thing. Jairus comes to Jesus and he speaks a word of faith. If you come and pray for her, she will live. And Jesus, because he loves people, he drops everything. He lays down his agenda and the Bible says that Jesus goes with him. So that's act one, scene one. And you you finish that scene thinking, this is good. He's a man of faith. Jesus is with him. So did you enjoy Act 1 online? 
Let's go to Acts 2, verse 25. It says, Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years, and suffered many things from many physicians. She spent all she had, and she was no better. She grew worse. An unnamed woman. A 12-year journey of perpetual suffering, a perpetual period. She's suffered at the hands of many doctors. She's exhausted all of her wealth. She's not improved. She's grown worse. And it's not just the physical pain, it's the psychological pain, the invasive examinations, the social stigma, the isolation because... For a woman in the first century Jewish world, to have your period meant one week in isolation, locked up. If it continued beyond that, you had to stay away from people. Remember lockdown? Remember how painful that was for just a few months? Imagine 12 years of hiding, 12 years of social stigma and shame. Says verse 27, when she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, If only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. He's the problem. The woman is unclean. She's untouchable. She's a nobody. But Jesus is a rabbi. He's pure. He's not allowed to touch women like her. And so the woman decides to take a risk. It's like, I'm going to do whatever I have to do, whatever it takes. If I've got to sneak up behind him, if I've got, I don't need an autograph from him. I don't need a selfie with him. I just need to touch his clothes. If only I'll touch his clothes, I shall be made well, verse 29. And immediately, the fountain of her blood was dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus immediately, knowing in himself that power had gone out from him, he turned to the crowd and said, who touched me? And the disciples, the dipstick disciples said, well, everyone's pressing in on you. Jesus' attention isn't gained by the pressing or the popularity of the crowd. He sees and he feels the pain of the one. Friend online, he sees what you're going through. In this room, whether you're sat at the front or the back, he knows what's going on in your life. And he didn't just come to dispatch a miracle. He comes to encounter a person and he said, somebody touch me and I've got to meet with her. Because Jesus is always interested in people. And he calls her out. Who touched me? And for some of you, he's calling you out. He's calling you out of your isolation. He's calling you out of the shadows. He's calling, calling you out of your shame and whatever stigma you've been carried because of what has happened to you. He's calling you out of your addiction. And he's saying, I want to meet with you and I want to help you. Verse 33, but the woman, fearing and trembling, because let me tell you, this is a big deal. For her to come out. Fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her. What does she do? She came and fell down before him and told him 
the whole truth. How many know there's something about knowing the truth that sets you free? Something about facing up to the reality, the stigma, the secrecy, the shame, and it dissolves in one encounter with Jesus. Verse 34, and he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. For 12 years, she's been defined by her dysfunction, labeled impure, unclean, untouchable, hiding behind her shame. But before Jesus deals with her dysfunction, he first deals with her identity. Daughter, because that's who you are. You're not a product of your dysfunction. You're not a product of what's happened to you. You are my child and I love you. Daughter. Dignity has been destroyed and diminished, but one single word from Jesus establishes her value and her worth. So I love Act 2. Scene 2, it's amazing, but it ends with a curveball. I'm going to read verse 34 and verse 35, and I want you to see if you can pick out, and you guys online, what's the one word that connects the two verses? Let's read it. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house, Jairus, and said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher? any further. Did you spot the word? One daughter is supernaturally healed. Another daughter is dead. In Acts 1, we thought that everything was going to be okay for Jairus. He's a man of faith. Jesus is with him. There's a delay. There's a disruption. And now his daughter is dead. He'd done all the right things, but a delay and a disruption now couldn't be any worse. From Jairus's perspective, one daughter's healing costs his daughter her life. It's been a delay, and a daughter has missed her miracle. I don't know about you, but I hate delays and disruption. A few weeks ago, in this small circle of trust, I talked about Airport Steve, which is the, the nickname that I wasn't aware that my kids called me, because there's nice Steve, and most of the time I'm nice. But I don't know what it is about airports, but it brings the worst in me. And so they, they've been calling me, without me knowing it, Airport Steve. And unfortunately, two weeks ago, we, we went on another trip. A church had very generously paid for me, for Rach, 
and for mercy to fly there and minister. They paid for the tickets two years ago. Twice it got cancelled. Now that's a delay. And so eventually we had to use the tickets before the 1st of June. So we flew from Norwich to Amsterdam to Rochester. First leg, flew from Norwich, get in, you know, we get up at like 4.30 in the morning, get in the plane, 5.30, ready to take off at 6, and the door won't shut. There's There's an announcement, there's a delay. And uh, one and a half hours later, after they've got a technician out of bed, and he's rocked up at the airport, and I'm now thinking, we're not going to make this flight. I've got out of my seat, I'm about to go to the toilet, and the technician arrives. So I'm I'm watching, because I want to know that this door's safe. So the technician, he basically just picks up the door and shuts it. And then he turns to the air hostess, who's a very slight older lady, and he, he says, there's nothing wrong with it. He says, well, can you shut it? And she couldn't. She wasn't big enough. So I'm thinking I've been stuck on this flight for the last hour and a half because she couldn't shut the door. So he did all the checks and it was fine. So Airport Steve is starting to bubble up. But anyway, we we get on the flight. We land in Amsterdam. All right. And uh, that's all good. And we just, you know, literally, didn't we, Merce? We ran through the airport, managed to get our flight to JFK. Everything's gone, gone sweet until we get to the pit of hell. I mean, the arrivals airport of JFK. There are thousands of people, and I, I'm already I'm feeling stressed. But then I look around, I think it's going to be okay, because there's 65 booths for passport checkers. I think, awesome, they'll soon get us all through. Did they? Do you know how many people they had working that day? Four. Four. It takes an hour, an hour and a half. We get into two hours. I think we fly in half an hour. There's no way we're going to do it. But Rachel goes to the front, gets us in the fast lane. We get through. We go through the whatevers, you know, and then we've got to pick up our bags. I don't know why Americans do this, but you've got to pick up your bags when you land. And guess what? Our bags aren't there because of the lady that couldn't shut the door. So now I've got like 20 minutes, I've got to decide, do I go to baggage and find out where my bags are, file a report, or do I go straight on to Rochester? I decide to go to the baggage claim, so I'm sprinting through the airport, the girls are miles behind. I get to the baggage claim area, and guess what? There is a whole queue of people. Why? Because Delta lose everybody's baggage. So I've got nothing, I'm thinking, what do I do? I can't wait in this line. So airport Steve shouts to the ladies behind the desk, and they say, don't file the report here, just go to Rochester and file it there, and you'll, they'll get your bags for you. So somehow now we've got to get to a different terminal. We managed to do it, literally we just get onto the flight to Rochester by the skin of our teeth. And now we're going to meet these pastors. So I've got to be nice and cool. I've been traveling for nearly 20 hours, and we give them all a big hug, and the girls are talking. So we go to the baggage hall and and I'm pleased because there's no one in there. There's no one in the whole airport except there's one guy in the baggage claim, Oscar Buchanan. What a beautiful man, Oscar, I hope you're listening. And I'm I'm turning on the inner John Norman, I think I'll I'll charm him, I'll be nice to him. So I'm saying, oh, you're a good looking fella, I'm sure you're going to be able to help me, Oscar. And uh, I start to tell him the whole story about what's happened. And he looks at me, and he's paying no attention. He could not give a rip. I'm obviously disturbing Oscars. So he says, sir, you've made a mistake. You should have filed for the report at JFK. Come on, don't cheer for Oscar, whoever that is. I'm wanting to, but I'm not. You'd be very proud of me, because I managed to keep it 
under control. And so I talked to him really nicely. And I said, Oscar, if you will just scan my little baggage with your QR reader, and then if you'll pick up your phone that's right there and call those lovely people at JFK, I'm sure you'll be able to tell me where my bags are because I'm preaching in a few hours tomorrow morning. And he looked me in the eye and he said, Sir, I am a supervisor and I can tell you, you have made a mistake. And he refuses to help me. What he does is he gives me a baggage information. I've got baggage now, all right. He gives me a baggage information leaflet and he puts a little circle around the number and says, if you will call that, you'll get your baggage back. I said, surely, Oscar, you can pick up that phone and call them for me. He says, sir, I'm a supervisor. I cannot do it. Don't you hate it when people start throwing their titles as if to say, I'm more important than you are? And I felt like a problem he was trying to evade than a person he was trying to help. Finally got my bags about 28 hours later, after I'd preached all day long and been to Target and got some shocking outfits. Come on, Target. I find it hard to handle delays and disruptions. Anyone else? But I'd only lost my bags. Jairus has lost his daughter. I'm missing my luggage, but Jairus thinks he's missed his miracle. Ever felt like you've missed your miracle online? How come everyone else is getting their miracles, but what about me? And so act, act two, it ends with this delay and disappointment. Verse 35, while Jairus was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house and said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? It's too much trouble. It's too hard. It's too late. You've missed your miracle. Notice they see Jesus only as a teacher. To them, that's all he is. And Jesus is a teacher. He's an incredible teacher. So when they call him a teacher, they're not lying, but they are limiting. Because Jesus is far more than just a teacher. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is almighty God. Some of the most destructive voices in your life will limit you. You're not good enough. You'll never amount to anything. God doesn't really love you. How come he's doing it for all those people, but not for you? And they come when you're at your weakest, when you're at your most vulnerable. But many of us in this room and some of you online, you've learned to recognize the limitations of the enemy. You know when he's speaking. But notice these voices are not the voices of the enemy. They're actually the people who, who were at Jairus' house looking after the girl. In other words, they're his friends. They're his family. They're not the voice of the enemy. Sometimes the limiting voices are the voices of those that are closest to you in your own house. It's the voices that come from inside of you and those closest to you that have the most influence over you. And as soon as Jesus heard this, verse 36, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, don't be afraid, 
only believe. And Jesus permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John. Then he came to the house, so he arrives at Jairus' house. And he sees a tumult and those who wept and wailing loudly because in those days they hired professional mourners and they're already there. How many of you have ever met the professional mourners? It's like their career, negativity, no matter what happens, that's all that they do. There's a lot of them around. What does Jesus do? Jesus says, why make this commotion and weep? The child isn't dead, but he's sleeping. And they ridiculed him and they will. When Jesus had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him, and he entered into where the child was lying. In other words, Jesus shows Jairus, this is how you deal with those voices of limitation. Sometimes you've got to take them out of the room. They're not good for you. They're not helping you. The people that are whispering in your ear, are they limiting you or are they building your faith? Sometimes we've got to quieten the voices of social media, quieten the news. Sometimes we've got to make tough decisions about the people that we allow closest to us. What does Jesus say to Jairus? Do not be afraid. Only believe. It's easy in act, act one. Maybe you've become a believer recently. You started trusting Jesus and you stepped out in faith. You made a decision. You said, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to trust. And in act one, it's fairly straightforward. But what about when you hit act two and the report comes and the circumstances change? It's one thing to step out in faith. It's another thing to learn to walk by faith. In spite of the reports, in spite of the loss, only believe. Jairus thinks he's missed his miracle. When I thought about a title for this message, I wrote this down, but it's not just a title. I believe for some of you, it's a declaration over your life. For some of you watching online, here, here it is. You haven't missed your miracle. I said you haven't missed your miracle. Says so they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and they went into where the child was. I love this. Verse 41, he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up or arise. Many of us have grown up hearing sermons about the first touch, the woman that reached and touched the hem of his garment. But few of us have heard sermons on this second touch, when Jesus touched this girl. Why is it important? Because Jesus should never have done it. He's a Jewish rabbi. And rabbis were forbidden from touching dead bodies. They're regarded as unclean. And so Jesus has a decision to make. Do I keep the law and lose the child? Or do I keep 
the child and break the law. The law says don't touch her, don't go near her, don't connect with, with her. The law says that Jesus shouldn't be dealing with some of you lot after what you've done, especially Phil Lee on the back row. Some of you have done things and you know that he shouldn't be dealing with you. You shouldn't be where you are now. But thank God that God is not bound by rules and regulations and systems. Jesus is not like Oscar Buchanan. He's not hiding behind a system, rules and regulations, giving you all the reasons why he can't help you. Jesus is everything Oscar Buchanan was not. You're not a problem that he's looking to avoid or an issue he's looking to evade. You're a person that he's looking to help and he wants to be involved in your world. He's not throwing out his authority to distance you from him. He's taken all of that power and all of that authority because he's come just for you, to meet you. He's coming right into your room, wherever you are now, to help you, to heal you, to restore you, to do what only Jesus can do. You haven't missed your miracle is immediately the girl stood up began to walk around she's 12 years old and they were completely astonished Jesus gives strict orders not to let anyone know about this I love this he told them to give her something to eat she's 12 She's been dead. She's hungry. He says, someone go to McDonald's, for goodness sake, and get the teenager something to eat. How personal is he? Friend, you haven't missed your miracle. Maybe there's been a delay, a disruption. I told you last week about how my dad encountered Jesus when I was three years of age, oh, Jesus sat on the end of the bed and my dad was absolutely transformed. He was a believer. He wanted everyone to know. Took us to church, a whole family, my mom, my brother, me, my sister. But we didn't want to know. The first lot of churches were really boring. The second lot were really crazy. We didn't want to go to church, so he bought church to us. He literally did, in our farm. He decked out the barn, put straw bells in, everyone would sit, and people like Noel would come in and lead worship, and I didn't have a clue what was going on. Why did everyone put their hands up? Was it one for permission, two if you're desperate to go to the toilet? I just did not understand. My dad prayed for us, prayed for us. One year, two years, three years, four years, five years, six years, seven eight, nine, ten years, none of us. My dad thinks he's missed his miracle. In desperation, he goes to the pastor's wife. Her name was Pamela and said, I don't know what to do about my family. None of them want to know God. And He said, why don't you send them to Norwich camp? <laughs> Show me this little leaflet. It said barbecues. I thought there's going to be girls. It's going to be epic. There was sport. 
we came down to Norwich camp, West Runton, the mighty Runton. On a Tuesday night, a guy called Dave Nellist gave a message right near where you live, Pan. And I felt the presence of God. I felt Jesus come into my room. I put my hand up at the end of that service. Just immediately started just to weep. I didn't even know, but right next to me, my brother had put his hand up too. And he started to cry. Then on the other side of the tent, my sister put a hand up as well. And after a few months, my mom saw such a change in those kids, she came to Christ as well. Ten years, but thank God he walked into the room. You haven't missed your miracle. Friend, I want to talk to you personally. Have you ever received Jesus into your life, into your heart? You say, what does it mean to be a Christian? It means to say, God, I can't do this without you. Would you come in? It would be my greatest honor to usher in the greatest miracle you'll ever receive. And that's when Jesus comes into your life. You say, what does he do? He forgives you whatever you've done wrong. He gives you meaning and purpose for your today and an incredible and an eternal hope for your tomorrow. Maybe you're, you're here and you once walked with God, but if you're really honest, you've drifted away. You've got caught up in stuff that you know is not right. And Jesus says, hey, I want to meet with you. It's time to come home. So I'd love to pray for anyone all across this room or watching online. And you say, Steve, it's time for me to be honest. I need Jesus. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you all to bow your heads and close your eyes. That's it. Thank you. It's a moment of privacy. And I'm going to count to three. And if you're in this room or you're online and you know you need to get right with God, when I count to three, I'm going to ask you simply just to raise your hand high enough and long enough for me to see it. For some of you, it's the first time. For some of you today, you are coming home. This is your moment. God loves you, my friend. So are we ready? When I count to three, you raise your hand. Are you ready? One, two, three. That's it. Just slip it up. Thank you, my friend over there. I love that. Come on. Look. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Beautiful. Thank you for your honesty. Here's what we're going to do. We're all going to pray this prayer, and I'm going to ask you to look at the screen. Repeat it after me. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me to forgive all my sin and failures so I can have a brand new start. Please come into my life and help me by the power of the Holy Spirit to trust and live for you. Amen. Amen. Now listen, friend, if you prayed that prayer, then as you leave this building, we'd love to give you a Bible. You'll see one of our team standing there waving it. Just come up. Say, hey, I prayed that prayer. Could I have one of those? But it's going to help you. And then come back. If you're watching online, drop us a message in the chat. Say, hey, I prayed that prayer. We'd love to connect with you. But as we close this service, I'd like you all just to stand for a moment. Just stand. Come on, everyone. And I want to pray two groups of people real quick. Feel to pray for anyone and you're worried about your kids. Your kids are lost. 
Your kids are hurting. If that's you, I'd love to pray for you. The second, this whole story is a story of loss. And maybe you're in this room or you're watching online and you've faced a loss. Maybe it's not a loss of a child. Very few people go that. Maybe it's a, a loss of your dream, a loss of hope. Maybe it's a loss, a loss at work of employment. But if you've lost something, or you're worried about your kids, I'd like you, come on, why don't you just raise your hand? I'd love to pray for you. Lord Jesus, you see every hand. Every hand is a person that you love. Every heart is a heart you understand. And so right now, for every person that's going through a loss or worried about their kids right now, we come to you. I thank you, Lord, that they haven't missed their miracle, that you are able to do exceedingly and abundantly and above all we can ask of things. So right now, we draw near to you and we ask you to do what only you can do. In Jesus' name. Thanks again for tuning in. And if you said the salvation prayer today, we'd love for you to email connecttofaith at soulchurch.com so we can talk to you a little bit more about this incredible decision that you've just made. Yeah, you know, and if at any point in the service you felt moved to give towards any of our local or global initiatives, then head to soulchurch.com and click on the giving at the top of the page. Thanks again for joining us today. And we hope to see you again soon. God bless.